Last One to the Party, a podcast where we check in with someone checking out a longtime classic for the very first time. Welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us once again. This episode, we're talking to longtime friend Tara Copeland. She is a longtime teacher and performer at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, both in New York and in Los Angeles. She's essentially the pioneer of musical improv at both theaters in New York and Los Angeles, as well as the Magnet Theater in New York. You can see Tara on episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, Glow, American Princess, and she has seen Taxi Driver for the very first time. We're going to talk about that iconic 1970s film. You know it from the You Talking to Me scene and De Niro with his sunglasses and mohawk. It was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but surprisingly didn't win any. De Niro lost to the late Peter Finch, who had died just before the Oscars and won it for Network. Jodie Foster lost to Beatrice Strait for her one scene in Network. Literally one scene. The movie lost for cinematography. Also nominated for cinematography was Logan's Run, a deep cut. I'll trust you to look it up on your own. It wasn't even nominated for editing. It lost for directing and lost for best picture to Rocky. To be fair, I don't know that Taxi Driver could have sustained six or seven sequels the way the Rocky franchise did, so it's a win-win. So let's get started. Let's talk to Tara about her first time watching Taxi Driver. So you've finally seen Taxi Driver. What were the things that you knew about it? I knew that it was one of Jessica's favorite movies and one of my husband's. So just so people have some context, Jessica, my husband, Andrew, Jessica and Andrew, don't you think, Jessica, you're like kind of the same about movies? Like that's like very similar. Yes. We like a lot of the same. You both are similar in that you both saw and loved movies from before you were born, basically. And I was more of a like, I watched the movies that were happening in my lifetime. Not that I've never seen old movies, but not that, just especially this specific genre, the Scorsese, the sort of like gritty, I don't know what you would call this genre, but I, I haven't seen a lot of these kind of movies. Growing up, I saw all the movies that were part of my childhood. And I saw a lot of movies on like movie channels, but they weren't these kind of movies somehow. Like these were not the movies in my house and I didn't have, I wasn't drawn to them. So I have in my lifetime attempted to watch some of these movies. So like I saw Raging Bull on purpose. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andrew and I went to a Sergio Leone so let me ask, festival. So, so, and so I've seen a bunch of those movies. I've seen a bunch of the movies. That you go, movies. That you we saw towards. Serpico because someone from Serpico was talking afterwards and answering questions. We saw it at the Film Forum in New York. I've not seen none of these movies, but I wasn't drawn to them. A movie like this would be inappropriate when you're a child, but even in your 20s, did you ever gravitate towards movies like this, the the current movies that were like gritty and dark at the time? Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs? No. I mean, I watched those movies because people were watching those movies. But I never really liked them very much. They just, you know, or like maybe I liked Pulp Fiction because you were supposed to. But if I really thought about it, I would so much rather watch like singles or reality bites. It's not that I don't appreciate them. They're just not my thing. And so what I knew about Taxi Driver is De Niro was in it. And I knew that it was, I knew Scorsese directed it. And I knew um, 
you talking to me? Like I knew, I knew that I, when I tell you, I knew nothing else about it. I knew nothing else about it. I did not know Sybil Shepherd was in it. I think I probably knew Jodie Foster was in it. And as the, I was like, oh, Peter Boyle. And then the one that really threw me, you guys, Albert Brooks, when his name popped up in the credits, I looked at Andrew and I went, is that our Albert Brooks? And he was like, it sure is. Just for like a little context, I loved Once Upon a Time in the West. I mean, I loved it. So then Andrew and I decided to watch Once Upon a Time in America. Just as the credits were starting or just as we had hit play on the DVD, he goes, oh, I should maybe tell you, there's like some, <laughs> there's some like kind of violent acts towards women. I mean, I don't know. Oh, he said, I think there's a, I think there's a rape scene in this movie and I feel like I should warn you. As we watched it, it is so violent. There are some, there's more than one incredibly violent, uncomfortable, awful scene where women are basically violated or raped ever since then when we are starting a movie from this oeuvre from this like from the this I'll always go is this movie a rapey movie because I, I like kind of want to know because it was really really hard for me to watch that movie because of it I was like this is not I do not enjoy this and so he he goes I said that about taxi driver and he was like well no but oh and I was like, what? And he goes, well, you know, Jodie Foster plays a 12-year-old prostitute, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> no, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he was like, yeah. He's like, but nothing, you don't see, like, he's like, that is like, a, it, and it's the fact of that is, he's like, maybe you should know that going into it. <laughs> Thanks for the warning. Prior to seeing it, had you been avoiding it or just not interested enough to sit down and seek it out at any point before this? Not interested enough um, to seek it out. I think if I was going to watch it, it would be with Jess at some point or with Andrew. You know, like someone who was like, watch this movie with me. And that has just never happened. And like, we own it. Andrew owns it on DVD. So we do sometimes we'll be like, oh, let's go through these and pick a movie we want the other one to see because we have a ton of DVDs, because we're old. I, I was not like against it. I just would never have watched it just like, hey, I'm going to watch Taxi Driver. Like maybe if like Jess like died tragically, I might be like, <laughs> I might be like, I need to honor her by watching Taxi Driver and they shoot horses, don't they? Oh, thank you. I would have been very honored to be watching both of those movies. Those are the two movies I most associate with me not having seen and just wanting me to see. I'm obsessed so. with both, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They both feel like a part of me. They're both parts of who I am. Or I think if it was like if it was like about to start and Andrew was here and he's like, oh, let's watch this. I don't know. I, I, you know. Now that you've seen it, tell me about Taxi Driver. The, the feeling you had from it, the, what stood out to you, what, what you loved, what you hated, like all of those things. A lot of times there's a lot of shots in it of like his point of view inside a taxi or like the street. They made me incredibly anxious because I kept thinking something's going to happen. It wasn't really that kind of movie, but I didn't know that. And so I kept thinking he's going to hit someone. <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> So that was part of it until I sort of like got the hang of it and was like, oh, this isn't that kind of movie. Because of the credits, which I was paying attention to and it was like De Niro I actually didn't see De Niro's name pop up for some reason and then the first other name was Jodie Foster 
I spent a lot of the movie for a while being like, when is Jodie Foster going to be in this? When, she's not in it for a while, for like a long while. No. Um, and yeah. so that and was- she's not in it for a lot. She's She's got a handful of scenes. Yeah. But her character obviously kicks things into gear. Yes, she's very important. I appreciated a lot of the acting. I thought, oh, Sybil Shepherd, what a whipped cream dream. Oh, what a darling dream of a young woman she was. I and as it unfolded, I truly I'm I mean this with so much love. I wonder if Jess watched this now in 2020 with her fe- feminism and her activism and her like, you know, the patriarchy and the, <laughs> the all I was like I wonder if it would be the same impact. Like like the timing of in your life when you watch something matters. And so I, wa- I I kept being like, this guy, what did, what is wrong with you? Like, he's like clearly unstable. I don't know. You know what I mean? I kept being like, oh, yuck, ugh. When he like goes in and he's like, I don't know, the way he's talking to Sybil Shepherd and the way he's like, you don't, you're not going to connect. And then when he took her to the movie, I just looked at Andrew and went, is he taking her to a porno? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, yuck. He doesn't even see it. He doesn't even get it. And it was not her bag. And he, it just showed that he didn't know her at all. Yes. It just shows how he's not, he's lost, right? He doesn't know how to be a boyfriend. He doesn't know how to date women. He has no, he has zero tools, basically. Yeah, he's toolless. Toolless. <laughs> it made me think about things modern things that hadn't existed yet when it was made like Columbine and like that kind of gun violence you know and so it's like was very hard for me to separate me 20 in 2020 I don't know what I would have thought of it at a different point but I was like I don't like him I don't want him to like go on a murder spree and I was anxious about it he was making me anxious and I was worried and I was like is he gonna kill Sybil Shepherd?" and I also didn't want him to kill um, Charles Palantine either because he doesn't even know this guy. I was like, he's not even smart enough to kill someone for the right reasons. So would you say you didn't like the movie? I don't know. I felt a lot of pressure to like the movie because I felt like one of the top 50 greatest movies of all time on all the lists of movies, you know? And so I was like, but I also had a very real awareness and have always had a real awareness that this was probably never going to exactly be the kind of movie that I loved. Did it feel like a movie out of time for you? It felt like a snapshot in time for sure. Like this was a different time for sure. And it was groundbreaking when it was made. And so I was like really trying to appreciate that about it and watch it through that filter. And this was like the dying sort of last gasps of New York at a certain time. And I did really kind of like that part. Like I kept saying to Andrew, like, oh, my God, look at New York. This is like real. This is what it was like. You paid with cash in a box and you I, I, so there was part of that that I was like. But I also said to Andrew, I never would have moved to New York if I thought this is what New York, if this was my vision of what New York was like. When people used to bemoan the Disneyfied. Times Square, I would point out that I got to New York in 91 when there was still some residual dangerousness in the in the Lower East Side and East Village and in Times Square. 
And I was all for it because now not only do I know where all the tourists are and I know where to avoid crowds, but it's better to not have a super dangerous place. But when it goes too far, then you miss those things where you find that little hole in the wall bar or restaurant or, you know what I mean? It becomes too corporatized. It loses a lot of its character. And the New York that they show is nothing but decay coupled with character. But it's also real. I mean, they really, they really filmed that movie in New York at that time. Like not, they didn't build sets of New York. They, that was what New York was. What about the performances? What about the different actors that are in I totally was able to appreciate that a lot. I will say, controversial take, I really, really enjoyed Harvey Keitel. I really liked sport. <laughs> I found his character, and I maybe you're supposed to, I found him really charming and almost likable. Sorry. <laughs> that is a controversial take, as he is the horrible pimp of the 12-year-old. But The fact of the matter is, the men who become pimps do have a certain kind of charm and charisma to be able to convince women to do those things and pay them all the money. I mean, I know you're supposed to see that dichotomy between him and Travis Bickle, who is so aggressive with Sybil Shepherd and who actually doesn't help Iris when he first has the chance to. He's like not some actual hero at all. He's like actually pretty gross with women as well. You know, and he sees the the guy, he has the guy in his cab who's going to murder his wife. And you're clearly seeing his relationship with other people, but with women, especially through all of it. And then somehow Harvey Keitel, who's this, his character is obviously this bad pimp. He's very loving towards her in a way that you don't see from Travis Bickle he doesn't have a loving countenance and he's very charming and he's funny. Also maybe part of it was just how fucking funny it was to see Harvey Keitel in that wig. And I assume it's a wig. If it's not, it's even better. That that contrast of his protective, warm, loving feeling was so different from Travis Bickle's feeling of sort of fear and anger and frustration. And I thought that was really interesting. And I, I don't know, I assumed like maybe it was somewhat intentional to like see the, them be so opposite from each other. But when he's like holding her and dancing with her, it's like so gross, but it's also so tender. And you don't have that anywhere else in the movie where you're like, you know, no one is tender in that movie. It's really strange. How did you feel about the music and the score, the Bernard Herrmann score? I noticed it a lot. <laughs> I was very aware of it that that saxophone kept playing. Did it move? Like, what, was it just you were aware? Any feeling about it or? No. I think I was like, oh, this is this motif. It was a little heavy handed in a way, but also like it was of a time period too. So it didn't work for you. I don't know if it didn't, it, it's not that it didn't work. I wasn't like mad at it, but I definitely noticed it. You know, I was very aware of it. Not in a positive way. It sounds like you were taken out of the movie. No, I was it. just like, oh, this is happening again. We're hearing this thing again. You know, this is the thing we're going to hear a lot in this movie. And as you were saying, when you were talking about being nervous, he was going to crash the taxi until you realized the movie is not about him being a bad driver. 
I just realized it's not a scary movie. I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, oh, this isn't a scary movie like that. The taxi driver part is not, it's not actually about, whoa, what's going to happen in this taxi in terms <laughs> yes, of his driving? Yes. I, I was going to say, because I feel like a lot of that is, uh, that anxiety you were feeling is the way that Scorsese's shooting it, which is a lot, sort of like you were saying, Travis's point of view. So we're seeing things through this prism, right? And it happens a lot in that film. How did how did you feel about that, or did that evoke anything in you, or was it just? I, I don't, what what were your feelings about it? I've thought about it, and Andrew and I have talked about it, and I actually was like, oh, I I have I wanted to read some more about the movie, and so I've done some reading about it, the movie after I watched it. Part of the problem with watching this movie now is that it's been like all a lot of the stuff that was so groundbreaking back then has been done and redone and like a lot of times by Scorsese himself I don't know that I thought anything about it because it was um it wasn't something I had like never seen before the the one shot I really commented on was the final shot from overhead and I and I asked Andrew a bunch of questions about that I was like whoa that was that was so clearly intentional and that shot was so cool and so that one was the one I really was like very aware of. And then Andrew was like, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of times when they do overhead shots. And he pointed out when he waves his hand over her desk. I was very aware of that because that felt very actually out of place to me. That one, that particular shot, I was like very aware of it because I was like, that's a strange, <laughs> you know, I don't know. And there were a bunch of continuity errors with his hair that drove me crazy. I was like, what is up? with this guy's hair and Andrew was laughing so hard. I was like, it's short, it's long, weeks have passed, minutes have passed. That was also who cares. Well, no, I mean, it was part of your experience. So I think, it's I mean, it would probably still be called Taxi Driver. It just, I just didn't know. I didn't know anything about the movie. So I didn't know like, oh, all of these shots from the point of view of like being in the taxi. I wondered is something going to, like, is the driving, is something going to happen on the drive? So or what other... De Niro movies um, and you know, Scorsese like they were, De Niro they, movies. You I said you've seen Raging Bull. Kind of Have you also anxious. seen Goodfellas? Have you seen other De Niro early dramatic things to compare this to or con contrast it to? It's so funny that you asked that because I started thinking about it. Like I've never seen any of the Godfather movies either. They're for no reason other than I've just never seen them. Like no, I'm not trying not to see them. And so I started thinking about it because I said to Andrew, was he already famous when this movie was made? Um, and he said, well, he'd already won the Oscar for Godfather Part Two at this point. Then I was like, oh, I knew he was in The Godfather. And then <laughs> I said, was he in the uh -huh. first Godfather? And he was like, well, no. And then I s started thinking about it. And I was like, why is Robert De Niro so well known to me? Like, what have I, what do I know him from? Do you know what I mean? Like, if I've not seen these, like, and I know I've seen Raging Bull. Um, and so then I was like, I just want to, like, really sit here and think about what I have seen De Niro in. I have seen a lot of his movies from my lifetime. I had seen Deer Hunter. We watched that at one point years ago. Awakenings is one of my favorite movies from my childhood, just as just a <laughs> Just of why, um, because I was like trying to think, like, why do I have an awareness of De Niro my whole life if I hadn't really watched the movies that made him the most famous from Goodfellas? his youth? But I did see Raging Bull, 
what else did he make with Scorsese? I saw the one Mean Streets. And I don't know if I've seen Goodfellas. I think I probably have. Oh, girl. But I think I have. I just don't. I just don't remember it. it didn't, you don't remember it. didn't it. mean anything to me when I watched it. Jesus. <laughs> but here's my question. What does this movie mean to you? Like as a, as a certain age woman living in, in 2020, you know, like now. Like I, I, like, I mean, I guess what did it mean to you when you first saw it? I assume you were like a teenager or you were in your young, your young adult. Yeah, I was like year. a sophomore in high school. What did it mean to you then? And what does it mean to you now? It matters, right? Like wine, like the way wine evolves over time or cheese ages, like the, this movie can't mean the same thing to you, or maybe it can. I mean, it does for me because it, like, I think it set itself in me because for me, the movie is about being an outsider, which is what my whole life feels like. So I immediately felt one with Travis Bickle. I had a lot of anger inside me as a child that I didn't know how to express. I didn't even know I was angry. And it was like, oh, that's it. I could not express that as a 15-year-old young girl, but I knew I felt a kinship to that. The idea of like, I'm outside, no one understands me, I'm angry, and I really just, and I connected, I love the way it was shot. I didn't understand how it was shot, but it spoke to me. I felt it in my body. I was like, like when the, the Alka-Seltzer at the diner, I was like, yes, like he's inside that tingling. That's me. That's me. Yeah. I just felt like I was bad with boys growing up. And I was like, not that I would take them to a porn or something, but I was like, I get this. I get that he doesn't have tools. I get that no one understands him. I get that he wants to save this person and everyone's against him. Like I just really, it, that outsider thing, I just was like, boom. Now, of course, as an adult, I'd probably be like, oh, you know, and because of We've lived through so much violence just in the United States uh, with our awesome gun laws that, you know, the whole idea of the male toxicity, the white male toxicity. Yeah, all of that. By the violent man who's yeah. like... But I guess for me, he's not violent. He's not violent for... I feel like, I guess what makes it not his, he's not going out and shooting 20 million people. Yes, he shouldn't shoot anyone. At the end, I don't know, I guess it's like it's still against one... He's, I guess he's killing above other old white men. I don't know. It doesn't make it better. But he also kills the guy in the um, convenience store. He doesn't just buy one gun. He buys every gun. And, you know, he has that whole conversation with Peter Boyle where he's like, I'm going to do something bad. Like, I feel like he knows it's wrong. He knows it's bad. He's not, you know, so outside of knowing how the world works. But, you know, there's like these little signs, like when he doesn't, when he keeps carrying the $20 bill and not spending it, there are signs of his conflict, I, I, I think, or maybe I hope, maybe because I want to see some decency in him, there's like these signs of, there, there's some conflict in him of like, I don't know, like when, which I found out later was Scorsese, is in the back of the cab. I get a feeling from him and maybe this is just also because De Niro's so brilliant. He's conflicted about, you know, this guy going in there and killing his wife or, or the lover or whatever, you know, there's also like, well, I asked Andrew, I was like, do you know if we are supposed to assume that he's having some kind of PTSD from like Vietnam? And he was, and he said he didn't really know, but he thinks so. There were all these shots of like, every time he would like see a black man, 
And I kept thinking, and that was the other thing. I'm like coming from a 2020 super liberal agitated perspective about white, white men and violence. And I kept thinking he's going to start killing black people. He would get so like, there was a, a anxious, agitated feeling around those shots, right? In the diner. And then when he's like walking down the sidewalk and then when he's, when Scorsese's talking about the wife, he says that she's with the, he drops the end. And I was like, and so all of that was very charged for me of like, is he about to, like, I just couldn't tell. Like, is he about to like, does he have something where he's going to snap about black people? Like, I, I just, you know what I mean? I, like, and I was just filtering it through who I am right now. And, and also I was like, I don't know if there's ever a point in my life where this would have resonated the way you're talking about, like, that's not me, you know? And so I don't know if it ever would have resonated that way with me because I was just like, this is just a crazy man. This is a crazy, violent man who can't get the girl he likes to like him back. And now he's going to go kill someone as a result. Boo-hoo, dude. I, I was, I just, I guess the whole time I was like, I don't have a ton of sympathy for that, but I also think think he was broken all do you think the, that you always, have a movie just watching that him get more and more broken i wasn't like jess. on his side what is shag the movie uh, yes shag the movie i mean it's so inappropriate now like even now i would be like because it's set in like it's set in the south in the 60s but it's about like girls who are are becoming women, basically. <laughs> Is Jessica like, did she fall over dead? No, I didn't fall over dead. I'm just like, I would never. I remember that movie coming out and being like, next. My other, the other one I that 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 I felt that way about was some kind of wonderful. I love that movie. I felt really, really, really profound about that movie. Like it was a movie that was about me. That was, you know, that was about like not getting chosen and that, but that someday you would get seen and you would get chosen. It's about the girl that's the not pretty girl that finally wins. Well, she's the not, yeah, she's beautiful, but she's not the coveted girl. Of course she's beautiful because it's Hollywood, but I'm saying it's like, I feel like any woman that isn't the most popular, you know, I'm with you. That's why that movie, I, I, I love that movie because it's finally like the girl that's the outsider. And of course she's a beautiful woman, but. I don't know, as the not beautiful person in life to be seen by the hot guy is like, of course, that's what I, <laughs> I, I'm with. But I, I'm also not like a total pansy about movies because there, I actually have really, there have been movies that I have really loved that are very violent or that are very, you know, it's not about that for me. It, you know, it's not me being like squeamish about violence. Like the scene at the end, the shootout at the end didn't make me, squeamish what made me more uncomfortable were all the shots with the guns figuring out how to put the gun inside his vest and practicing with the guns and just watching him like descend into that crazy violence and when you talk about like anger and loneliness and feeling left out the fact that that it can go that route like there's there's a billion other ways for those feelings to go and to and to deal with them or to channel them or to process them. You know what I mean? He went like the way that just made me the most uncomfortable and made me super unsympathetic towards him. 
it made me just be like, oh, he's just, he's crazy. Like I thought he was lonely or just a little bit of a loner or an outsider. And even when he first was talking to Sybil Shepherd, I was like, oh, he's like direct or he's like there could be With some De Niro charm there. In this movie, did and then you it feel was like the penny just was, was like getting more and more know, the, rusted. The sort of breakout tour de force kind of perform. Did that strike you at all, or are you just so used to De Niro that it's hard to put yourself back in that place? He was so young, and he was so sort of beautiful and vibrant, and it was really exciting to see. And I thought he was. He's incredible. I mean, I think like, you know, De Niro is incredible. He was incredible. Right. And then later I started, you know, I went and read a bunch about it after I watched it, like the whole scene in front of the mirror. Uh, he improvised that entire thing. Apparently the script just said he talks to himself in the mirror. And so, you know, he's like, obviously an incredible actor. He's an, you know, and as an improviser, He's an incredible, he's always been an incredible improviser his whole career because he's such a great actor. You know, I, I also think he, <laughs> I also think he's a little crazy because I was reading that he, um, he got his taxi driver's license and he would drive around New York all night just to like get that feel of like being that guy. And then the, the screenplay was loosely based on this guy who tried to assassinate a president and he would listen to his diary and, you know, study him. But my favorite fact is that he interviewed all these Midwestern military men because he thought Travis Bickle should have like a Midwestern accent. And I was laughing so hard because I was like, he had he did not even attempt to not have a De Niro New York accent, but he thinks he did. And so that was where I was like, oh, the, now I see the emperor's clothes he a little me bit, up. which that I really appreciate. That whole outfit, that, that sleeveless t-shirt, the hair, the hat, Harvey the pants, he in this flicks movie. the cigarette at him. I mean, it's great. The hair, it has to be. The muscles. I can tell that I'm not, maybe I'm not supposed to feel this way. I just found him and his character really likable and charming. And I don't know if that's the Harvey Keitel of it all. He's supposed, he's a salesman and he's, and he's a con artist. And so when he's coming across as tender or loving, like that's all part of his ploy, watching him be loving with her is like a welcome relief from the violence that is being planned and that is be that is about to be perpetuated and so possibly that is not meant to be part of the movie that could just be part of what I'm my experience of the movie but I was so I was made so anxious by Travis Bickle that the pimp of the 12 year old felt almost like the loving character to me I was very nervous that he was going to like make out with her in that scene. And I was so relieved that they did not make him kiss a 12 year old. I mean, they had some boundaries, but maybe that's also part of what made it feel so tender, more tender and sweet is that they avoided the sex of it because they don't need it. You get it. We don't need to see the graphic side of it. Like that feels gratuitous. They made him feel like he wasn't being gross and sexy with a 12-year-old, although he was being gross and sexy with a 12-year-old. And also, I'm worried that people are going to think that I think um, pimping 12-year-old girls is okay. I don't, but I did find that character to be likable in relation to Travis Bickle. 
But I'm also aware that he's a con artist, and so he's trying to make us like him. It worked on me. <laughs> also, the sound he made when he got shot. Sure, was do you think you have right something on. that you love like, dearly oh! from your childhood? I was like, that's that maybe probably what that feels like as well. Now that that you still love it. I think probably most things from <laughs> from that time don't hold up. And I don't even know, like, does this not hold up? I think it's probably meant to be all of the things that I think it is on some level in terms of being disturbing and um, yeah, chaotic. I and, agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that my reaction to it is um, the like the opposite of anyone else's, but I do think in terms of like the things that like that Andrew and Jess see about it cinematically. I see them. I appreciate them. I also feel like I've had a lifetime of seeing them where they were not I appreciate that he was doing things that were new, but I also think like the other people have probably ripped them off for the last 40 years Are because they were so great. Glad, it's exciting to see the, the beginnings of something like that. For sure. Other movies that are similar to this that have come after it that you would rather watch instead. So I'm glad that I saw it. I didn't dislike it. But I wasn't like, oh, I'm so profoundly affected by this. And I think that I had some anxiety around seeing it because so many people I love, love it so profoundly that I was worried I was going to really not like it and that I was going to then have to not like something that people I love really love. And so I'm relieved that I didn't not like it. I didn't like him. And I am not sure I was supposed to like him. I wasn't relieved he was alive at the end. I sort of would have been fine with him dying at the end. You know, I and I but I'm not I I don't think I'm like breaking the rules of taxi driver to feel that way. So yes, so I'm happy I watched it. I'm happy that I I I would say like I liked it. I just didn't like him. I thought Jodie Foster was incredible. I can't believe she was only 12 years old. That's like blows my mind. I prob I, if I was going to watch it again, I would rather watch like The Godfather next so that I so that I see more movies that I haven't seen. I would like to sit down and watch They Shoot Horses, don't they? Um, but I would watch it again if Jess was like, oh, I want to watch it with you or so, you know, if someone wanted it to be a thing we did together, I would watch it again. Or if it was like on and I was flipping through channels, I might stay on the channel. But then I was laughing so hard at the end when she got in his cab. <laughs> I turned to Andrew and I went, oh, it's a rom-com. <laughs> Is he going to end up with her? Thanks again to Tara Copeland for joining us on this episode of Last One to the Party. If you want to follow Jessica Eason online, you can find her on Instagram at jessica.eason.agency. It's a cutting-edge casting agency that's taking your submissions for shows that might be on now, might have once been on and are no longer on, but maybe they're going to reconfigure them because in this quarantine, who knows? If you'd like to follow me online, you could find me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. I play a pandemic song of the day on my saxophone. Just the song, no jazz solos to endure, and sometimes adorable interruptions by children. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find it on Instagram at Last One to the Party Podcast. You can find us on Twitter by searching Last One to the Party. And if you'd like, you can send us an email to Last One to the Party Podcast at gmail.com. 
The podcast is produced and edited by me, James Eason. The theme music is composed by me, James Eason.